Welcome to the Optionality Game, a conversation with successful leaders about evaluating your options, taking the right risks, and creating your own luck. I'm your co-host, Cooper Schoenthaler. I've loved entrepreneurship since I started my first business, cleaning refrigerators, when I was eight years old. Now I'm a third-year student at Northeastern University, exploring the world of business through positions in finance and consulting. I'm your other co-host, Alison Thomas. Spending my weekends at garage sales growing up, finding items to resell on eBay, had instilled a love for business long before starting university. Now at Northeastern, I'm a fourth-year student and have worked in early-stage startups in venture capital in the past. Each of us want to build companies that positively impact the world, and so at Northeastern, we became immersed in the world of business. But along the way, we found that the path after graduation is not as straightforward as we originally thought. We see people graduate picking the riskiest options possible, like starting a business, and still end up making millions. We see others who work hard to graduate with a safe, steady, and well-paying position at the top companies, but aren't left as fulfilled as they expected. After seeing different choices result in such different outcomes, it made us wonder, should I become another 20-something just clawing their way up the corporate ladder? Do I take the path less traveled and risk my livelihood to work at a startup? Or do I throw it all away and just become a ski bum? I've honestly given equal thought to these three options, as well as many others. This podcast is our much-needed exploration into the options that people choose, the choices they regret, and most importantly, whether they're satisfied with how it all turned out. Lessons are best conveyed by stories, and we hope to explore the career-defining moments of business leaders and change the way you think about your decisions. So welcome to the Optionality Game. Today, we're speaking with Michael Gassiorek the head of growth at Trust Token, a USD-backed stable cryptocurrency, the CEO of Truth Cartel, and a community builder. I first met Michael in San Francisco through a program my university hosted, and he's been a mentor ever since. Michael, thank you so much for coming in today. You have experience working at many different organizations, wearing many different hats through DeFi and crypto companies, altruism nonprofits, PR agencies, to name a few. Before we jump into the details of your personal journey through life, we'd love to get started by hearing how you'd describe the current state of your career. Yeah, sure. Uh, super good to be here. Uh, it really is a lot of fun to chat with friends about you know one's life, of course. So um, I'm an open book. You can ask me anything, and I'm excited to share whatever you and your audience are interested in. Uh, to jump into that question, uh, frankly, I'm having the time of my life. Um, there was, uh, you know, six months ago, I was uh, not quite in that state. The company I was at was going through the rigmarole of figuring out what it should build. Uh, it was going through shedding a bunch of employees. Um, it, you know, I was confused about whether or not I should go or stay. Uh, the agency business was kind of, you know, puttering along just fine. Um, and over the last six months, it's almost like the new year, new me. Um, the business has launched something that I'm thrilled to work on, and I have the I have the thing, feeling that like it's I need to be here for it to succeed, and um, the success is great for me personally, which is an amazing feeling. Uh, my independent work has been really great. Um, I've gotten a chance to really sort of expand what it is I get to focus on from not just marketing, but now also starting to work on investing, um, and it feels like there's so much to learn. 
I can really tell things are going well because I feel like every day I'm definitely at the edge of my comfort zone. Um, and I have this, you know, real serious degree of curiosity. And most of the time it feels like play. So I'd say this is as good as it's ever been. And I've done, you know, startups, I've done diplomacy, marketing, whatever else. I've done a bunch of different things. But this is as much fun as I ever had. And uh, I'd say it's going well. So in the last six months, what was the moment that clicked with you? What was the project that really kind of turned things around? Sure. So I'll start by saying just a little bit of context here. Um, my full-time gig, uh, distinct from my you know agency that I do part-time on my own, that's, that's sort of my little baby there, um, launched a project that we've been working on for many, many months. Uh, it's one of those crazy things where, you know, you're, kind of like raising a kid and you finally show them to the world. And the moment that it launched, it became very clear that this is really going to be something special, that I'm going to play an important role there, uh, that this is going to be, from a financial perspective, really good for me. And what uh, was it that, that launched? Yeah, so the, the project itself is uh, it's a DeFi project, which means sort of decentralized finance. Let's sort of think about it is we're basically unbundling a bank, doing one tiny piece of that thing really, really, really well, like cutting the bank out and then offering that to the masses. The thing that we basically do is called uncollateralized lending, unsecured lending. Um, the best way to think about it is just imagine, you know, you and me have a credit card. We, you know, our credit limits are 5K, 10K, 50K. Uh, well, we're talking about multi-million dollar credit limits. Uh, we're mostly talking about business to business. And we built a protocol that is uh, basically excludes the bank, brings in the masses to, to do the bank's job, and also gives them the rewards. It's a decentralized lending protocol. Lots of them around, like Compound and Aave. It's a pretty popular archetype. Uh, but we are doing unsecured lending, which is, you know, we're the first in the business to do it. And so far, since November, we're $100 million in loans processed. You know, we've got a bunch of different cool companies using us. Uh, we've got 2,500 people, you know, putting money into the system to make it all work. Um, and our token has done really, really well. So that's, you know, a lot of where my, um, my holdings are. So that does well, I do well. Got it. Got it. And I love the idea of having your work feel like play. For sure. How much, like what percentage of it is because of the people, what percentage of it is because it's fulfilling work to you or, and, and others. Yeah, for sure. So there's like this, like, I guess you can think of it as an equation. Each person's gonna have kind of different allotments. I don't claim to have all the variables, but I know, you know, working with the right people feels really important to me. Um, you know, being integral to the thing succeeding feels really important to me. Having high risk, high upside feels very important to me. But if I'm gonna be honest, the thing that's really making it feel like play is just, um, I get really a lot of kicks on the feeling that I have to run really fast to stay in place. The idea that like, I, I better learn this stuff immediately, like yesterday to be relevant. Um, my rate of learning at this company is unlike any other experienced. Even when I was doing the agency, doing marketing for like six or seven companies at the same time, I was never going deep enough, nor were we on the bleeding edge enough that I was learning at this pace. So I would say the people, the project, the upside, all great. But the biggest thing that really gets me going is uh, just how much there is to learn to do a great job. I have to learn about banking. I have to learn about marketing. I have to learn about finance. I have to learn about, you know, tokenomics. Um, you know, I'm learning about, you know, bonding curves. These, these are these are tiny niche things that um, never in a million years would I have uh, 
you know, gotten into it in any other way. So it's, it's like the surface area of the possible ways that can be useful and the, of what I need to learn to be useful is amazing. It's immense. So I like the challenge. Love that. And it's, it's awesome to hear about what you're doing right now, but love to take a step back and get to the root of how this all started, how you came from yeah. Poland, got to Northeastern, um, studied abroad in China and, and, um, and, and got to where you are now. Not a straight line, you know, not a straight line. Um, so interrupt me anytime. This is like a rigmarole of a story. Uh, but I came to America, to New Jersey, you know, mom was uh, a teacher, dad was a computer scientist. Both of, we all three got there around age six for me. I did, we didn't know any of the language. We were making $34,000 a year as a family of three. Uh, it wasn't easy, you know? Uh, I got fat, I didn't make a lot of friends. Like we were pretty poor, uh, but eventually the family started doing a little better. Eventually I learned English and eventually, you know, I started to figure out what I liked. Loved psychology, loved philosophy. Going towards college, you know, I spent a little bit of time interning at the UN in diplomacy because I was trying to like do the right thing and see the world. But uh, I've said this before, it felt to me like doing the right thing, but very, very slowly. Uh, and then I thought, you know, if I really love psychology and philosophy, well, advertising is like applied psychology. I should try that. That's a cool way to make a scalable impact because it wasn't really about to get a philosophy degree or a psychology degree and, and sort of relegate myself to a life of kind of, you know, being in the books or the libraries or the or on the therapist's couch. I wanted something a little bigger in terms of impact. Uh, Suffice to say, I spent time in advertising, you know, big glitzy glass offices in New York and all that. And it became very, very clear to me that uh, that was just doing the wrong thing really, really fast. So, you know, I was looking for something that was both good and kind of quick. And so after kind of um, doing an internship in uh, China and sticking around there and during the startup world, kind of by accident, trying to get an internship, but having no luck, and said, I, I said to myself, screw it, I'll do it myself. I went to this hackathon and that hackathon led me to start a little business that uh, wasn't a very good business, but it sure opened up a lot of doors. Um, I had uh, really dove into doing community building um, in Shenzhen, China, where I had my internship. Um, sort of doing ed tech, nothing, nothing too big to write home about, but um, it felt like I kind of found my thing. I found my new religion, startups were gonna be it. And I, you know, really went down the path of desired sainthood. I did the right things. I got the startup shirts. I got the, you know, little business cards. I went to all the meetups. It's almost like going to church when you're, you know, in the startup religion. Um, and the craziest thing happened to me uh, when um, I graduated. Uh, so taking a step back, I was running, you could call, again, startup religion, a sort of small congregation. I uh, ran startup events in Shenzhen, China. Regular events under the banner of Startup Grind, great company um, that I would later work for, actually. Um, and one of the guests that we brought on to Startup Grind, kind of like you bring guests to this podcast, called me right after I graduated and said, hey, that startup you guys are working on, you guys want a little bit of money to do that in Shanghai, like real deal? And uh, I thought we made it. I thought I was rising up the ranks of sainthood in the startup religion. Uh, and I took the ticket. I left everything and you know behind in Boston um, and Northeastern and moved to Shanghai to go work on this you know great new vision. And um, man, we we basically have put rocket fuel in a in a little beat up Buick. Uh, it was the wrong project, it was the wrong team for for that for that uh, that kind of infusion of capital. And 
pretty quickly we, we you know we broke apart as a team we didn't want to do this for seven years to take this public to to do something great quote unquote with it and uh you could say just like with the start of religion again i lost my faith uh it was then that i began this real personal journey of like what the hell do i really want to do i was sleeping on my friend's couch in hong kong a couch so small my my feet literally were longer than the couch like these apartments are tinier than yours um, and, you know, I was doing a lot of writing, I was doing contract gigs and marketing, doing all kind of stuff. Um, and um, I started to put my sort of values together. And, um, you know, I'll jump between a few other opportunities later. After that, I ended up joining Startup Grind and doing a bunch of media stuff there, really cut my teeth in marketing. They gave me a great opportunity, couldn't refuse. Um, but I knew I was going to go back in the world of startups into the world of marketing and the world of tech. Um, and um, to, to cut to how I ended up here, when I finally felt like I had done my duty at Stutter Brian and built something great, uh, I knew it was time to head out on my own again. I joined a friend's company. Uh, that company too didn't go well. And uh, I was left with a bill of about $63,000 of credit card debt, uh, corporate expenses that I was supposed to get expensed. And I was going to get expensed, but for, um, well, my co-founder just uh, sort of disappeared one day, you could say. Uh, he just quit and uh, left me with the bill. Um, and I was frankly crap out of luck. I had no plan. I, I didn't even internalize what the hell had happened for a while. Uh, and then I started looking for jobs until eventually one of my buddies who had gone to crypto earlier said, Hey, one of these days we're like at a happy hour. He says, Michael, you know, marketing, huh? Like we need marketing right now. And that was the beginning of the ICO boom, the initial coin offering boom, uh, the, the wholesale sale of um, utility tokens across all of San Francisco, LA, New York, and the rest of the world. Um, and it was the rise of sort of that crypto boom on Ethereum. Uh, I got in on the ground floor. Through, seven, through 17 and 18, uh, I did 12 or so ICOs. I did marketing for some of the biggest companies in the business, Algorand, Compound Republic, uh, you name it. Um, I was there on the front lines in San Francisco doing these, these uh, crypto projects as a marketer. It was the best possible time for anyone with my skill set and interests to be in the industry. And I got out of that debt real quick. Um, eventually, the company I'm with now recruited me. Um, they were an early client. And I also knew the guys from way back. We had been roommates, but we just took different paths. And they finally said, hey, look, listen, you can, still do the, you can still do the agency. Keep doing that, but come with us. We need some leadership. Um, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And I've been with them ever since through three different projects through two different CEOs, through um, you name it, um, a, a roller coaster of a ride, the first six months, which are absolute chaos. Um, and I couldn't be prouder of where we've gotten to. So that's the long story. So I absolutely love the idea of the startup religion. And I think you can say I'm a pretty devout member. Um, and it's interesting to hear how you uh, at, at different points were not excited about it anymore but then i guess you kind of were, were born again <laughs> you can say that um but i want to ask about your relatively circuitous route through your career and how you've made the decisions to switch along the way especially given the number of experiences you've had and how uh your ideas around truth and altruism have played into that so mm -hmm. when you went into the center for effective altruism i assume that played a role right mm -hmm. and then now you're doing something where you say you're distributing truth and, and distributing the future with your work at Truth Cartel. And along the way, you've also been involved with ICOs and taking power away from banks. 
And so <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of curious how that all lines up in your personal, your personal religion, I guess you could say. Yeah, sure. Enough. I think personal religion is actually a great way to frame. It. I think, uh, you know, whether you're part of the startup religion or any sort of organized religion, I'm, I am personally of the opinion that the best religion you can build is your own. You, you drink the various Kool-Aids, which I did by being at the center for EA, um, you know, by being in crypto and you make your own blend. You figure out what it is you believe. And from that emerges some way you navigate through the world, a set of values, really. Right. So, so that's really at the end of it kind of uh, the thing that drives me. Uh, but to tell you a little bit more about how to, um, you know, the, the path there and how that applies to the work. Uh, somewhere along the way, I, I would be hard pressed to tell you when it emerged to me as like, this is actually it right here. Uh, when it came to um, what, it, what it became obvious I became good at in my work. And I spent time in media and diplomacy and advertising. Um, you know, now I'm in sort of crypto finance. Um, you, you can kind of, tell a story like, oh my God, he's done a bunch of weird things. How do these all connect? The, the reality is at the end of the day, most of the things had to do with some sort of idea being propagated throughout a community. Um, the, the work of a marketer in this particular case or of a person working in crypto or whatever else, it's like, there's actually kind of an interesting thing. What are, what are startups and what are entrepreneurs doing? They've taken a belief of some sort, really a philosophy, and they've encapsulated it in some sort of thing that can self-propagate. A company can self-propagate. A book can self-propagate, right? A video can self-propagate, right? When you take an idea, your philosophy, you wrapper it in something that can reproduce, you're effectively distributing that idea, right? And as a marketer, you're basically, you know, applying psychology to add extra fuel to that fire, right? So, you know, my, my biggest intersection, my biggest love is the intersection of entrepreneurship and the intersection of, of um, marketing, Right. Which at the end of the day is just, you know, one level down from psychology philosophy, although, you know, my original loves. What does the marketing agency do? Why is it called truth cartel? What we like to say is we distribute beliefs. You know, there's a fantastic quote uh, from a well-renowned uh, sci-fi writer that the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. That quote has reverberated throughout the ages for me. It is so freaking genius that I, I could honestly say it informed my career. It's so smart. It's such an interesting thought. Um, and through all the marketing work, you know, through all the sort of community building events, it was always about there's some sort of belief here. Hey, more people should be founders. Hey, crypto can, you know, create a more equitable world, right? Individual ICOs where I'm like, hmm, this one's really interesting because it might help save some of the gas emissions relative to say coin production. Every single marketing initiative by and large was some bet on a philosophy that would need to propagate to make the world a little bit of a better place. If I have any special skill set, it's, 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 it's maneuvering attention on, on sort of useful things. And so it's two things, discernment about what is useful, which requires that personal religion to play, you know, you have to make a value judgment. And then you apply your actual tactical and practical and strategic skills on growing that thing. And so that the great through line across my whole career is that it's largely been oriented around that, whether it's been through writing and editing and media, through actual marketing mechanics, through just you know, speaking and, and you know, hosting events. It's always been about bringing attention to some belief I thought to be ultimately uh, good and useful. Um, and uh, to hearken it back even to the time I spent in EA, that was part of the inquiry. 
of what is good and useful. Um, so th th those two questions, like what is good and how do I drive more attention to it, more traffic to it, has been the th career through line. But you only see stuff like that. You don't sit down one day and just like write down on a pad of paper, uh, this is it. This is how I'm gonna build my career. I'm gonna distribute beliefs, right? I had to write a tagline for the agency eventually, but it was an emergent property of, of following my curiosity across a weird subset of places to work and trying to figure out what the hell is the common thread here? What am I doing? Why am I there? What feels right about it? Um, the majority of these hard questions are only answerable in hindsight. Um, and I can say with hindsight, that that's what I think I've been doing and will continue to do, distribute beliefs. Uh, and that's, that's the benefit of agency and crypto as a, a whole, whole thing. Well, so I absolutely love that quote. And I think that's probably going to influence my career as well, just because, no. I mean, that just rings so true to me. But you also mentioned community building along the way. And I would say from the outside perspective, that's sort of what the, th the through line of mm -hmm. your career looks like, right? You've built communities along the way, I would say, especially with one salon. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I guess one other question for you that I would have is, how do you think about community building and what are the actual steps that you've taken to execute building communities? That's awesome. Awesome question. Awesome question. So um, I've been thinking about this a lot. So I hope you'll excuse me if I, if I like dip into my little, little basket of models here. Uh, but there are two really good models I believe are really, really good for this. I'm not going to give you some marketing spiel. This is the things that you as an individual can do to, to try to find community. So the first thing is like, let's make a distinction between like community versus friendships versus a group that you do hobbies with, right? Um, when you think of a, a person, let's just say that's a dot, right? It's a one dimensional dot on, in space. When you build a great friendship, you draw a line between two dots. Now there's a line between you guys, like you two, you built a strong friendship through that and just an emergent you know, podcast and the friendship itself is kind of a quality to it. Um, that's great, that's standard, we know this. Uh, well, you're also probably in a bunch of other, you know, let's say clubs or, you know, sort of hobby groups, right? Maybe you like to play Ultimate Frisbee. Great. Maybe you really like the, you know, entrepreneurship community at Northeastern, right? You have an identity in that group as someone who participates in, say, entrepreneurship or Ultimate Frisbee. Uh, and that makes you part of this circle now. You're a dot in a circle. But the moment that you drop that identity, yeah, it's an entrepreneurship thing. That's not what it's all cracked up to be. I'm going to get a job. Or the moment you say, you know, ultimate frisbee, I'm gonna go lift now. I'm really into martial arts. Or you break your ankle, for example. It's gonna be real hard for you to maintain that identity in a circle, which has no real connection to you as a person, but for what you do in that circle. Play frisbee, do entrepreneurship things, right? Talk about startups. When that stops being interesting to you, you, you drop out of that circle. That's not a community, that's just a group. It's a group where you're only in there so much as your identity is in there. Now, what then makes a community a community? Well, it's not really a circle. Uh, it's, not, it's not something where your identity is, is you know, you sort of one, one facet of your identity speaks to your membership. Really, it's more like a web. It's a bunch of dots in space, all connected with lines, all of which intersect, such that it's really a group of friends who have very strong one-to-one -one ties across a large number of people within the group. Any one of the people in that group has a strong network within that group of people who care about them, who will hold them accountable, who will make them feel understood, right? And those are the three things I really look for in communities of, in my mind. People really care about each other. 
they really seek to understand each other. So they're not projecting their nonsense on each other, but really like, hey, I, I see where you're trying to head. I'm gonna hold you accountable, which is the third thing, to where you're trying to head. Not to where I want you to be, but I see you and where you're trying to, who you're trying to become. Um, and because you know it's coming from a place where they care about you, you can take that feedback well. That becomes a catalyst to anything. It is the catalyst that made me a better entrepreneur when I was doing it in Shenzhen. It's the one that made me a better sort of media and story writer when I was in uh, Stead of Grind. A lot of people there supported me as a community to become a good editor-in-chief. Uh, and so too in crypto. You know, it feels like I have a lot of friends who really want me to succeed here, but also, you know, want me to do great work by them. Um, so they'll tell me, hey, you're not doing such a good job on this. You should learn about this. Or, you know, Michael, you're doing great here, but you are missing this whole piece. Or I see who you're trying to become, a really great marketer in this space. Well, you better, you know, follow this guy. Right? And pair me up, they make intros uh, to, to make me better. So we covered two models, lines, circles, and webs. You're really shooting for those webs. What makes you know uh, a community different from a group? It's that sensation that people really care by each other one-to-one, -one, really understand each other one-to-one, -one, and really keep each other accountable one-to-one. -one. These are two really, really important things. So that is what the communities have been. Now, uh, if you wanna keep going, I can tell you what I think you as an individual, listener or host, whatever, can do to find yourself in one of those. What can you do to nurture that, right? Um, so we'll blast with this pretty quick, I hope. But uh, it's, it's five things. Again, I'm not saying it's comprehensive. I'm not saying you have to do all five. But um, if you try it, I wonder what would happen, right? So the first thing I think is really key is you just really be vulnerable with each other, right? Like I'm laying it all out over here. I, I don't have the most polished background or, you know, the, the great successes. I mean, some of my great successes were due to my failures, right? So just being vulnerable with each other as a human person, it, it's the difference between you being able to make a one-on-one -on -one connection versus you being another member of a group, like a circle. Um, so you really have to open up, you know, share the unpolished parts, ask about what you're really curious about in that person. This vulnerability thing to me is number one. Number two is really going to be um, making novel experiences together. You know, that doesn't mean just, you know, you know, going to a festival or a rave. It means, you know, hey, like even something as terrible as, you know, losing your wallet with a friend by your side is memorable. You're going to remember that person. Your mind doesn't remember time you spend together. It remembers moments. And novel moments are really what register. So when you share these novel moments, that person becomes a part of your story, right? So go to new bars together, new restaurants, like start a book club, do, do, do cool things that are memorable. And then those person, people will register. Um, and that brings me to the third point, which is to be co-creating stuff together, right? I can imagine your guys' friendship only improved by virtue of having a podcast. I'm not saying it's always been easy, but I'm saying you've seen more of each other. You know better who the other person is by virtue of creating something together. Now, it doesn't matter if it's a meal, it's a podcast, it's a community event, or it's you know, a music festival. Um, this act of making the relationship that you guys have produce a thing beyond you is fantastic and it really, really registers. Um, the last two are quick. The, the last one is, is, you know, the next one is be consistent, which doesn't mean always, you know, message them on their birthday and whatever else. It just means when you guys reconnect, drop right back in, right? It's a natural flavor of things. Like enjoy the relationship. Don't just try to catch up all the time. Um, and then the last one for me is uh, interconnect yourselves to the other people in the group. Because the first four things are really about how do you create a really strong bond? 
The last one is about how you take that bond beyond yourselves. Um, so when you make those connections, you know, like you just introduced me to your host here. Uh, now I have a broader network because of you. Uh, we are, we are, that pulls us closer. Um, so I think anyone can do this stuff. Um, and one of my favorite things to do before COVID was to do a getaway with friends. You basically rent a cabin, take a bunch of people. That tends to hit all of them. You know, people get to know each other. They get to, you know, spend a lot of time together. So they have this novel experience going to a cabin. They, you know, spend a bunch of time together. So they inevitably have vulnerable conversations. Um, so like doing little getaways, like to a cabin with a bunch of friends were, were always my favorite thing to do in that day. I, I love that concept of the interconnectedness. And I remember when we were first talking about it, you had described it as a tribe. And I really resonated with that as just a community of people who have your back, but also just help you be the best version of yourself as possible. And um, it, it's funny, the other day, Cooper and I were talking about tribes and and just how in time times in your life when you're growing up, usually you'll be kind of forced into communities and as a result you become friends with people just as virtue of being close with them spending a lot of time with them but you're not necessarily going through the five um, ways of really like becoming a, a community member mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's true um it, you know you have to carve out these moments with people if you're just kind of rushing through life with uh you know by your side you know trying to fit someone in in between, you know, one happy hour and dinner the next. Man, I mean, I live in New York a little bit. There was a lot of this kind of uh, fast-paced friend-making kind of attempts where people, you know, you might not, you might see each other once a month or maybe you might see each other at these, these group events. But the uh, pace at which everyone is trying to move through life, through the city, through their career in, that, in, in New York uh, was a little alienating to actually forming, you know, really substantive, personal, authentic, vulnerable relationships with people even friends so it, it was a it was a real effort to you know drop in uh, but when you can do it when you meet the others right um it's pretty magical you know you can kind of tell immediately like this person can be my friend that's a very special moment and then that the, those five things that we talked about are the ways i think you invest in that person the five ways really stood out to me especially the novel experiences piece of it because like Alston mentioned, we've, we've been talking about this recently, especially with regards to the organization that we run, the Huntington Angels Network, and just thinking about how best to structure, you know, just just community events, like on a, on a logistics level, like how, how do you make that kind of thing happen? And when it comes down to it, I think the, the way I could relate this to your New York experience is that we can do as many Zoom happy hours as we want, but it's never going to be the same thing as, like you said, getting a cabin and just spending a weekend together and, and seeing what happens, you know, again, losing your phone, losing your wallet and like, you know, creating those experiences together. But I also want to loop this back around to, of course, the options that you've chosen throughout your career. And my question for you is the people who you've met and created these experiences, would you say that they're the largest driving force in the choice that you've made? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems as if many of the experiences, if not all of them have been guided by the people who were making those experiences happen right so yeah. what's your take on that yeah yeah i mean um i don't know of too many sort of career trajectories that aren't largely dictated by who that person surrounds themselves with um 
you know, the, I got, I've gotten some amazing opportunities, um, whether, you know, getting a company funded or, you know, joining to start a new business unit or entering crypto at the, you know, at a fantastic time. Um, these were long shot offers from people that, you know, maybe didn't think twice about it, um, but they changed my life. You know, they, they saw something in me that I maybe didn't see myself uh, and introduced me to a world I didn't know existed. It's like, you know, Gandalf takes Frodo through the, so, so the, this hero's journey. Um, and it happened for me over and over and over. It's crazy. I, um, I you know, can't say I'm grateful. There's no, there's, I can't even be grateful enough. It's just been, you know, uh, I feel like I've lived multiple careers at least, if not lifetimes as well. Um, but yeah, I'd say that the three most important sort of career milestones for me were, um, you know, by virtue of someone else extending the hand and, and you know, taking me on the journey. And then this is interesting, but so too with some of my greatest like career failures, you could say, um, that also was a part of my, my the effect of my network, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm friends with, you know, people whose money I've lost on startups. I'm friends with, you know, people who, you know, cost me $60,000, you know, high interest debt. Like we're, we're, we're tight. Uh, I learned huge lessons from all these things. Um, and, you know, for example, without that, without that debt, I wouldn't have had the kick in the butt to actually start an agency and really dive into crypto, right? I might've been perfectly comfortable just coasting along and, you know, doing more sales or whatever it is I was doing at the time. Um, so whether it was good or bad, yes, certainly. The people in my life are the biggest sort of contributors to um, sort of my career trajectory. Um, and, and at the end of the day, it wasn't a virtue of like, hey, my career plan is this, I'm gonna follow the straight line. Um, it was, um, doing something, you know, I at least liked for as long as possible until it felt like I just wasn't getting enough of the juice there. Like I wasn't either being, uh, it wasn't demanding enough on me to continue investing in that project. It felt like I was kind of like done there. Uh, and then this antenna goes up and you're like, okay, I'm available for what's next. I don't know what it is. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to start looking. I'm going to start having conversations. Um, and when, when that thing crosses your desk, you're like, you don't know if that's the right idea. And I've, and I've made a leap to, to some of what you would describe on the outside of bad calls, right? I've you know, quit a great job to do a startup that didn't go well. Um, but the, the, the net trajectory was fantastic. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know what would have gotten me out of that job otherwise. I was becoming comfortable. So I think when you get to that state of becoming comfortable, but you're not getting stretched, might be time to start putting your antenna up looking around and seeing what the next thing would be. And I think it's also important that you, you're not gonna be uh, right all the time, but you don't have to be right. You just have to keep making those leaps, sort of falling forward, if you will. How do you have the mental capacity to go back to people who have screwed you over 60K <laughs> or, have, or, or not kind of feel shame for people who you've lost money to and, and develop close relationships with them again. I feel like personally, I, I'd struggle to do that. Sure. Uh, those are some, those are some, like some of those interesting, like, I don't know if you even call them career stories, but like human stories, you know what I mean? I don't know if we should go one or the other. The, the, with the investor side of things, it was actually um, really great. Um, they were, you know, don't get me wrong, there were hurt feelings and frustrations at the moment it happened. But I can tell you for certain, I, when the moment I made the decision of, to walk away and, you know, transfer the equity to the other people who wanted to stay, I like... I was close to in a depressed state. I was sleeping as long as I could so I wouldn't have to be conscious of my, you know, 
waking life. I was, you know, I had tension headaches on a regular basis. Um, maybe I'm not chemically predisposed to depression, but it's probably as close as I got, you know. Um, when I finally made the call to walk away, I breathed deeper than I had in months. I stood straighter as if my back had dropped the load. Um, what had really happened, I can say now, is I had gotten back into integrity with myself. I was doing the wrong thing for, you know, some presupposition that I was going to achieve startup success, uh, but not on my terms. When I finally, you know, when I finally came to this realization, I got to forgive myself and forgive myself the shame. When I came to finally have the opportunity to share this with the investors themselves, firstly, most of them were like, oh, bro, like, no sweat. You know, you just let me know when you're starting your next thing. Right. Um, the, the, the egoism of thinking that people think about you as much as you think about yourself is, you know, not lost on anyone here. Um, so, you know, four out of five people were like, yeah, whatever, like that's chill. You know, this is, this is, this is walking around money for me. So, you know, when you're, when you brush yourself off, and you want to do something next then great. Thanks for this chat. The one where it was a little tighter, it was a little more difficult. We had the most like beautiful conversation over, you know, wine in Shanghai when I said, you know, here's what I was going through. Here's what I was thinking. And, and because I started, you know, because I said I was wrong, I'm sorry. Um, here's what I learned. Uh, here's, what I would have done things differently. He hit all this tension, just like, oh, oh, well, cool. Okay, let's let, let me tell you what I was going through. Let's now we're in it together. We're, we're together, you know, side by side, looking at the past and saying, could have probably handled that better. And look where we are now. You know, what a great opportunity we have in front of us now. Um, so, you know, I grew up and I cleaned up, right? That's, that's what happened with those people. In the case where, quote unquote, I was wronged. Um, when I finally got the context of what had actually happened, uh, the, the, probably as much as I can say is one of the clients was not happy with my co-founder's work and decided to pursue legal action. When it became very clear what the heck had actually happened to manifest the outcome that, uh, put me in, you know, serious debt, um, suddenly I understood, you know, oh, I, you think I had darkness. I can't even imagine the hell you had gone through. And suddenly you kind of like, just like, oh, you realize I've been there. I've been him. I've done the screwing before, right? And you realize like he did his best. He bit off way more than he could chew. And um, we just worked it out, you know? Uh, it frankly doesn't hurt if you've already recovered on the other side of that. You ideally want to come to these conversations well-resourced because if you're going to offer truth and love and forgiveness, then you better have found it for yourself uh, instead of trying to muster it up when you're still holding on to, you know, scarcity in your own bank account or in your own plan. So I can honestly say I was really, really lucky because when I time came to reconnect with my friend who, you know, put me in a bind, um, I was out of that bind. So take care of your own, grow up, get a good perspective of what's going on around you. And then just, you know, forgive yourself, forgive them. And then, you can start becoming friends again. And what I can say is, um, you know, me and the one friend who sort of uh, cleaned things up and, and, and now are sort of back in, back in good terms, we've done, you know, more work together since. He's, you know, paid me back, back wages. Like, great, I'm up, you know, 14 grand from the experience um, in the end. So that's awesome. And then on the uh, investor side, um, it's actually one hell of a story, but um, the long story short is they've since invited me to be a mentor of three of their accelerator programs. So because I you know, made that relationship right, because I cleaned it up, 
because I reconnected and authentically sort of here's what I here's who I am now here's what I'm hoping to do here's how I can help. Um, they've invited me back into the fold, and I've been able to help their companies and you know back some of them and you know it it was it wasn't just like good for the soul it was good for business you know so it was really the best of both worlds. You're you're incredibly empathetic. I have to say, I mean, it's it's. I'm not sure I would have the same outlook, but I guess it does help that you were out of the binds. Um, but it also, yeah, I think it's it's a great lesson there about having reconnected, and then you know it turns out well on the other side as a result of that sure. reconnection. So I'm I'm glad to hear it was a happy ending. For sure. Well, what I want to what I want to caveat is uh, I think emoting and empathy is a learnable skill because I can sure as hell tell you that I did not start the way that you're seeing me now. You know. Uh, I started as a fairly hyper-rational, aggressive, chip-my-shoulder underdog coming from a poor Polish immigrant family who, you know, wanted to, you know, make a big impact on the startup world and beyond and, you know, rise to the ranks of startup stardom in, in Shanghai, where I did barely knew the language. So the, I had to get humbled such a number of times to be able to, to do some of the more empathic stuff that I'm describing um that i can honestly say you know it's a learnable skill and if i could learn it so can anyone because i was the most like like utilitarian uh rationalist um that you know hey, you can kind of see that in my resume too like the ea types are largely that um and uh you know i've since become hopefully a little bit more than that but i think it's that humbling quality that uh, gets you there i was once told by a, a mentor of mine when I was having trouble um, motivating myself for something, that discipline is a is a muscle that can be trained, and it it sounds like you're saying the same thing about emoting and and being empathetic. And I, I love that idea because it's always good to recognize that everything can be improved, right? So, um, but on that note, unfortunately, we're we're running out of time here. But I did want to ask you the question that we pose to people at the end of every podcast, which is. We're curious always about the metrics you're going to use when you're on your deathbed and you look back at your life and think, was I successful? You know, for some people it's, did I make a hundred million dollars? And for other people it's, was I close to my family? So what's the metric for you? Sure. Uh, and the show, I'm gonna try to keep it concise. So look, um, throw the career, all the personal transformation, all this kind of stuff. I've come away with five values, you know, they, they really do guide my life. If something's not going well, ask myself, which one of these am I screwing up right now, right? Um, there's adventure. Hey, did I have a life that was fun? Did I really squeeze the juice out of the, the sort of fruit that is life? Um, the other one is growth. Did I really push my body and mind to be the best that it could be, right? That underdog mentality is still there. I'm still trying to improve. Did I read the books? Did I write the books? Did I really you know, put myself out there in that regard? The last one is connect, right? And for me, that really means that I love and love, that I love and get loved the way I hoped, right? I want to be a family man eventually. I want to make sure my friends feel my appreciation. Um, you know, that is really important to me. So not even who will miss me, but who, who will have happy memories of me. That's, that'll be important. Who did I make feel loved, right? Uh, the fourth one is impact. And there's, there's a whole episode we could do on that. But suffice to say, did I live a life that, um, you know, Aristotle would have described as a life of virtue. That idea of uh, leaving this place a little bit better than I found it. Um, there's, again, a whole episode to be done on this, but um, it's important to me to kind of make this place a little bit better than, than uh, 
I expect not just in my works, but in my being. Like, was I a good person? Not just did I do the right things? Um, and uh, the last bit is, did I live in integrity, right? Can I honestly say that when death comes at my door, I can just breathe out and calmly say, thank you for the ride, right? Uh, you can do that, then, you know, the Tibetan Book of the Dead will say you've, you've lived a good one. Um, but if those are the five that I try to hold myself to every day. Well, that's not only concise, but also, frankly, beautiful. I love it. <laughs> great, great answer to that question. Oh, as I said, uh, all these wisdoms are in hindsight. I did not uh, put that down on a paper one day. I had it beat into me over the many uh, ups and downs. Well, before we end this, are there any social media um, or or places where you can see your writing? Yeah, sure. Um, the best place to follow me is probably going to be on Twitter. I've moved between one social platform to the next. But Twitter is where I'm really probably getting most of my ideas. Uh, it's my last name, which is spelled G-A-S-I-O-R-E-K. And the first letter of my first name, M. So Gasiorek M is the handle. Um, and, you know, I post, you know, little tidbits there. I post, you know, longer essays. Uh, I write mostly about, uh, you know, crypto and marketing for work stuff. And then some of the things you heard me say here about community, about, you know, how to nurture good friendships, about, you know, life philosophies that worked for me. They may not work for you, but I only write them so you can tell me how they suck and then maybe I can improve them. So uh, it's sort of my intellectual honest attempt at uh, improving myself there. Well, thank you, Michael, for coming on today. It's been uh, an absolute journey. It's been great to hear your perspective <laughs> on everything. So thank you. Same here. Same here. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate you. As always, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Our next guests include one of the world's first bungee jumpers and the CMO of a cybersecurity unicorn. Feel free to drop us a line if you have questions, comments, or would like to recommend someone for the show. See you next time.